You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. It ain't the left side or the right side. Good evening, Dolphins fans. Welcome to another episode here of On the Fin Side with Kat and Paul. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, all of our social media outlets, as well as um, finfanatic.com. And we are also the exclusive content for the Dolphins for the fan sided network as well. I'm Brian Cat NFL on Twitter. Paul is fanatic underscore pick. We are 22 days away from the NFL draft, and we are making our way through the different positions here through a Dolphins lens. And so we're going to take a look here at not, not a, again, just like the quarterbacks, not a huge need for the Dolphins, but the interior defensive line class, which, you know, it's a kind of a good year not to need a defensive tackle. It's not a great group, but it's one, it's a position that the Dolphins have put a lot of interest in here so far. I mean, you look at the depth chart, guys that can play defensive tackle or D-end in a 3-4 scheme. Christian Wilkins, Raekwon Davis, Zach Sealer. They sign Adam Butler from New England, and they bring back John Jenkins, uh, who was in Chicago last year after a really good season here uh, in 2019. So, Paul, a lot of bodies at defensive tackle in that room right now. Maybe there will be room for one more, maybe not. Hey Dolphins fans, this podcast is brought to you by Danette May and Mindful Health LLC, featuring Danette May's top superfood product from her Earth Echo Foods line, Cacao Bliss. Nothing feels better than being able to enjoy rich, smooth, creamy chocolate and knowing you are doing something good for your body. We start with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then we blend it with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. 
The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it's friendly to paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan, and vegetarian diets. For the last eight years, we've been a leader in the superfoods market and are proud to have served millions of customers worldwide. We're offering up to 15% off when you use code MINUTE at earthechofoods.com slash minute media. Follow on Twitter at the Danette May and at Earth Echo Foods. Um, it would have to be a small defensive tackle to fit into that room. Um, they're they're getting pretty close to moving to the uh, the auditorium that we've been in a few times down there because it's a lot of beef on that side of the ball right now. Um, there's no way everyone they have right now is going to make the roster uh, for the final cut, and so I I don't see Miami. Going heavy at the no pun intended at the defensive tackle position on day one or day two, but if the right value were to slide on day three and they think it's somebody that could come in and make an impact and maybe they flip one of these guys that they have, that's where I see Miami looking at, at the defensive tackle spot. Maybe, but it's a very loose maybe. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, again, a position that is very important in this type of defense, but. A lot of bodies in there right now. But before we get to that, let's take a little little stroll down memory lane here. Uh, we've been watching the draft for a long time. We've been following it. We've been talking about it on the show for a few years. Here's my question to you, Paul. What is the most shocked you ever were on draft day by a non-Miami Dolphins pick? That's actually a pretty easy one. And I'm going to go back to 2005, to the human bowling ball out of Ohio State that uh, he was, I remember watching him the year before he was supposedly going to be eligible, and I'm like, you know, this kid's game does not col- does, does not translate to the NFL level. It's stuff that works in college that's not going to fly when he hits the NFL. And then he was out of football for two years? And comes into the draft, and Mike Shanahan, who had Terrell Davis, Olandis Gary, Mike Anderson, Ruben Drawns, uh, sorry, he had had those previously, like, all these great running backs, had a really full running back room already, though, um, including, I think they had signed Ron Dane about three, four, five weeks before the draft, when free agency kicked off, and then he drafts Maurice Claret at the top of the third. Like, yeah. what? A, uh, he was not great at football, at least as far as NFL game translation goes. And, you know, you would think Shanahan was a guy that could identify running backs, given all the guys I mentioned already. And then he, he's out of football for two years and got even fatter. And Shanahan's like, eh, I can make this work. We'll just run the wheels off the fat guy. So, no, I just saw that and was utterly shocked, especially for, you know, a running back guy like like him to to go with such a waste of a pick in the third round. If if memory serves me correctly, he was he was drafted in 2005 and then he was arrested for armed robbery the next year. I believe Um, and in the pre-draft, as annoying as it was that he tried to sue the NCAA uh, for to let him uh, into the NFL because 
as a freshman, which he, he wasn't going to be a top five pick anyway, despite what he thought. Um, what, what, oh, oh, he ran like a four eight forty, and then he basically told all the people timing him that they were wrong, and then quit. <laughs> like I. He should have been arrested for armed robbery the year that Shanahan drafted him when he got a contract. Yeah. To to his credit, though, I will say that over the I, I believe over the last several years, I did read something that he's kind of turned his life around. So good for him. I mean, it's not a high bar to reach considering where he was. But, yeah, I do remember that, too. I remember being disgusted. I wanted him to go undrafted. And he went as like the last pick of the third day. Uh, and mine is it was the 2010 draft. Okay. And the Jaguars were picking in the first round. And with the 10th pick, they took defensive tackle Tyson Alawalu. I could not believe it was the first time that I I, I had somebody going 10th overall that, I, I mean, I, I didn't think was going to go in the first two rounds of the draft. He's actually made a good career for himself um, with, with uh, you know, he's okay with the Jaguars, went to the Steelers. Then was supposedly rumored to sign with the, the Jaguars. Instead, passed that up and uh, went to the went back to the Steelers here. So screwed him twice as far as uh, production's concerned. But anyway, uh, no good trip down memory lane there. Tyson Alualu. That was the same draft I think as Earl Thomas and just a lot of guys there in the top ten uh, and top fifteen picks. So anyway, moving on, Paul. Looking at, at some other news here this week, uh, Sam Darnold traded from the Jets to the Panthers for a sixth rounder this year and a second and fourth next year. Obviously that really does, you would think cement um, him being, are there are the Jets taking a quarterback there at number two overall. Um, and also too, I mean, the odds increase that, that the first four quarter first four players of the, in the draft are going to be quarterbacks. Yeah. I think the odds increased a little bit and, and then I know we're going to touch on it, but one of the things I, th- I want to say I said it two weeks ago that's suddenly starting to make the rounds is the possibility of Atlanta trading out of the number four spot to even more so make sure that it's a top four quarterback run um, at the top of the draft. So good for Sam Darnold. I'm excited to see what he can do behind an offensive line outside of the division. I'd much rather see him increase his career elsewhere because I think he's going to actually do decent with the Panthers. Um, a lot more than any rookie quarterback's going to do behind two offensive linemen in, with the Jets. Well, I'll tell you, they better draft Penny Sewell at number eight then because at left tackle, they've got Greg Little there, and he's terrible. And the rest of the line, besides Moton at right tackle, is a much better. So he needs an offensive line for him. I, I hope he does well. I'm glad that he gets to go somewhere where he can – you know, he doesn't have to take a terrible organization kicking and screaming to a championship. So we, I can, we can finally say best of luck to you, Sam Darnold. And on the second part, you're exactly right. I, I missed, I left out that other part that, yeah, Adam Schefter reported that the Falcons are very interested in trading the number four pick and have gotten a lot of calls. I got to be honest with you. If the Falcons are not taking a quarterback, yeah, maybe they could take Kyle Pitts, but I don't think they will. Uh, I think they will either take a quarterback for themselves at four, or I don't see a way it doesn't get done where they don't trade out of that pick. Yeah, and here's the interesting thing for you. I mean, for Miami to move up two spots may not be too expensive. If they're really gung-ho on Pitts or on Sewell, 
um, or on anybody, they may be able to move up and still have a little more than they had when they had the third pick um, as a possibility. Like, given the fact that Carolina went ahead and got Sam Darnold and appears to be out of the quarterback market, so even if Cincy takes Penny Sewell, I wouldn't be shocked if they were to take a Rayshon Slater or somebody like that. Um, it, it did cripple the trade-up possibilities for um, a quarterback at four because it's after um, Denver. There's not really a quarterback-starved team until, what, 14, 15 with the Patriots? Yeah, 13 maybe with the Vikings, but I don't think the Vikings would jump all the way up there. Uh, Kirk Cousins is in the last year of his contract. Patriots, yeah, maybe. Um, and then you've got the Bears and the Washington football team at 19 and 20. Those are the quarterback starved teams right there. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it did certainly I, – I, I think the, the pick to have there is number four with the Falcons. And if that happens, quarterbacks go one, two, three, and four, you've got to still think the Bengals are taking either Penny Sewell or Jamar Chase, which means Kyle Pitts – very comfortably falls to that number six spot. And I know who you would still take there at number six. And, and that would be, that would be my choice. If I've accepted the dolphins are not going to take finish. So yeah, it, for me, it's, you know, I, I I've changed that piece of paper given the things that I've heard behind closed doors about Michael Parsons um, and what I think Kyle Pitts could do to this offense. It's, it's, it's Kyle Pitts no matter what for me right now. Um, it, where, wherever you can get him in that top 10. Now, would I, if, if Miami were to come out of this draft somehow, even if they have to trade up from 18 with Kyle Pitts and Micah Parsons, I'm going to be so ridiculously ecstatic, and this draft is going to be a success for me no matter what happens from there. Everything else are the ice cream toppings. We already got the ice cream at that point in time. And I think there's a lot of ways that the Dolphins can go with that. If they if they take Pitts at six, I love the idea of trading up in you know a couple of spots and getting the player that falls, whether that's Micah Parsons, whether that's even like a, a Rashawn Slater or somebody like that. I don't know if I would necessarily trade up for Slater, but you get my point. Somebody that... Jalen Waddle might fall or, you know... yeah i i wouldn't double down a receiver at that i don't i don't know if you can but i same point i mean i i you have the opportunity to to land two real big time prospects in a draft with so much uncertainty given what's gone on the last year so yeah given speaking of that uncertainty let's take a look here at that defensive tackle position and that interior defensive line spot here paul you know it's like I said at the top here, it's it's a pretty good year to not need a lot of interior defensive line help because I, I like a couple of guys here, and then after that, there's not a whole heck of a lot separating the rest of the class. So number one for me by a very wide margin, and, and somebody that I actually had on my top 18 board uh, is Alabama defensive tackle uh, Christian Barmore. When I look at the edge players in this class, like Quiddy Pay like Jason Owe, 
you know, who are good prospects and, you know, maybe I'll soften on them a little bit here. I right now want Christian Barmore above them because he played three, four defensive end in Alabama, six, four, 310 pounds in Nick Saban's defense. I think he really became the player that Bama wanted Raquan Davis to be reaching that potential there, especially at the end of the 2020 season. He has 34 inch arms, ran a four, nine, three. So, but what I really like about him is he's not a clogger at his size. He gets to the quarterback. You watch him on a sack against Notre Dame, really chasing down Ian book at an open field at his size. So he's somebody I would at 18 may not be the top, my top choice on the board, but I would probably be one of the only dolphins fans who would be, who would be okay with that pick at number 18 and Christian Barmore. Uh, I mean, I think he's going to be a heck of a player, but you'd be the only Dolphins fan on this show who'd be excited that they drafted Christian Barmore. Um, given the fact that I think if Miami is surgical in this draft, they can leap forward from the 10-6 and six record of, of this past season. And for them to fatten up the fat guy room that they've already fattened up this offseason, and that's a lot of fats, <clears throat> I'd be pretty disappointed unless they piggybacked on that with a trade, but I, I, I don't want to give away Christian Wilkins. I don't want to give away Zach Sealer. I don't want to give away Raekwon Davis. Now we've got John Jenkins in the fold, and unless we're going to start taking all these fat guys and running that positionless drunken defense with a bunch of fat guys running to and from the line, there's not room on the field, let alone in the locker room. I, I agree with you on that. That's why a lot of with, with these fat guys, I don't really see the point because – um, I don't want more people clogging, but Christian Barmore is not somebody who's going to clog the run. Mm-hmm. He's somebody that's going to get to the quarterback. And I don't see why he wouldn't be in the fold if all of these other edge players like Jason Owe, um, like uh, Gregory Russo are in the fold. I, I think he's just as good of an athlete as, as, as the other two are, especially for the position that he plays. So, yeah, yeah, I, I don't see the Dolphins going that route at 18. Don't get me wrong, but I would be one of the only people that'd be okay with it. Um, Levi Anzarike is, to me, the other, really the the second defensive tackle or, in, or interior defensive lineman in this class here, too. He's fun to, fun to watch, and uh, he can combine um, – two things he can his feet never stop moving that's what i notice he has long arms and his feet never stop moving what i th- i think when he played at washington as a prospect they did him a real disservice by playing him where they did they he played at nose tackle a lot and he's an athlete that really needs to slice uh in between tackle and guard to get into the backfield and so he's somebody that um if he fell kind of down to let's say 81 which I think will be taken before that, but the Dolphins have the 81st pick in the third round. Uh, that could potentially be a value pick there for the Dolphins. Um, somebody who ran a 487, 29 bench press reps. So somebody who definitely brings the best of both worlds. So my worry with him is he's a guy that he's generated some pass rush at times. Um, he's, he's very explosive off the ball. But I haven't seen him really pull a move. So he'd be kind of that weird pony that you're 
stunting with and hoping that the offensive line doesn't guess right in which way he's going if you're trying to generate a pass rush with him. Uh, yeah, I could I, I could see that too. He he doesn't have a lot of pass rush moves, so you'd be drafting him and trying to teach him how to be a yeah, he, he would be a project at that point, even at eighty or uh, 81, I would probably be out. I'd probably want other players at that point. And that's kind of how everything goes here. You know, um, yeah, I, I look at some of these other uh, defensive tackles. One guy that I have up there a little bit further than, than most people, uh, somebody I had mocked to the Dolphins in our, our Dolphins mock draft, UCLA defensive tackle, Oa Odigizua. He's really that DND tackle tweener. Um, he wrecked havoc at senior bowl week gets into the backfield. He might get out of his gaps a little bit too much, and he might be too much of an overlap with Adam Butler, who the Dolphins signed as that pass rushing defensive tackle. Again, somebody I would be okay with if the Dolphins looked at in the third round, just like on but more than likely I'd probably want to go to another position. Yeah. If, if, if we're going to go with a tweener, um, just because he, he, like for him, he can generate the pass rush, but he also can set the edge a little bit um, and, and kind of plug. I, I'd almost rather just go with one of these edge players that can rush the passer decently, but can occupy a blocker and set the edge and, and open it up for our pass rushers coming coming around the outside or stunting on the inside of them. Uh, but that, that's me. I mean, it, it's I can definitely see the look for both possibilities um you know it's just my own preference for the way to to do it there with the personnel miami has and the only way the dolphins are drafting an interior defensive lineman in this class is if value presents itself so that's why i don't see the dolphins going christian barmore at 18 i don't see him being even close to that um but if he falls to 36 now we're talking about a best player available type of situation you never know um after that, Paul, I look at the rest of the class and, well, before we get to that, you know, really the consensus, you know, second or third defensive tackle here is uh, Davion Nixon from Iowa. I have a tough time with him. I, I you know, to be honest, I'm, you know, Mel Kuyper has had him or ha- has either had him or still has him as his uh, defensive tackle one. I don't see it. I, you know, he's somebody that I think has a has a heck of a time getting off blocks. I think he's a three technique guy, who is very very inconsistent in getting to, into the backfield. He had thirteen and a half tackles for loss this past year, but yeah, not somebody that fits what the Dolphins are trying to do. And, and I think with his inconsistency and his inability to really absorb blocks for 50, 60 snaps a game, he, he's somebody I, I even if Dolphins needed a defensive tackle, I don't think I'd touch until day three. Yeah, he's he's a weird one because he he does a lot of the things that we talked about with guys like Raekwon Davis um, last year, where it's he'll have those explosive moments or games, and then he would have those just terrible games, and, and it didn't seem to be even to the level of competition. It's hard to put your finger on with him what brought him up and what brought him down because when he it, it was almost like. You had like a, a, a set of triplets, and they all shared the same jersey, the same number, and got out on the field and did very different things in very different games um, where you're like, wait, but okay, now he's got explosive pass rush moves, but he can't stop the run to save his life. Oh, now he can't get off a block, whereas last game he was just throwing everybody out of his way, and they were better blockers. So it's just, 
he's so all over the map that you've got to find a way to get consistency from him. And but you're not going to be able to take him either and stash him on the practice squad. So I struggle with him to to find that way to make him fit for Miami because he's probably not going to make your active roster and beat anybody out. You can't get him on your practice squad or you're just drafting him for somebody else. And you can't occupy the extra roster spot for him because you're not going to put his big ass on special teams. Yeah, I tell you, when I look at the rest of the defensive tackle class, Paul, it reminds me kind of of the 2017 draft where it seemed pretty deep into the fifth and sixth round, but not really deep anywhere before that. Uh, like that was the year that the Dolphins took uh, Davin Gotcha on the fifth round and Vincent Taylor in the sixth round because these these guys who could just do their job at defensive tackle started to fall. That's kind of how I view the rest of the class here after these top three, where I see a lot of guys falling a lot, but I really do divide them uh, for the most part into two different types of categories. One, penetrators, and number two, fat guys or space eaters. Yeah. There are a couple of different different ones there. So let, let's start with the with the big fat guys, the the space the space eater, the the ones that you like, Paul. And I'm I'm going to throw it to you first on that. I know you're talking Tyler Shelvin here. I know you're talking Tyler Shelvin. Um, yeah, it's it's if, and this is where the signing of John Jenkins kills me because he can do that. Like, um, it's but. Tyler Shelvin's one that up until they signed John Jenkins, I was taking in a lot of mock drafts because he's not going to generate that huge pass rush up the middle, but you know he's just going to throw bodies out of his way and and leave two piles. So you basically got to try to run through him in an Oklahoma drill. Um, it, it's just like, look, I'm here, and there's nowhere nowhere else you can go. So you might as well just fall like that. That's Tyler Shelvin in a nutshell. It, it's just. Throw everyone out of the way. Oh, you're passing it? All right, go ahead. But if you try to run up the middle, it's not going to end well for you, and I'm going to fall on you. Um, and and yeah. so there, there is that with him. Um, and then another guy I like a lot, and I know he's not that high on a lot of draft boards, but Aleem McNeil, um, he's just such a big, fat, 350-pound, I think, um, monster at that zero technique where you're just occupying the center of the offensive line, the center and, and one or two guards, and everything has to go outside of you. That That's a Lee McNeil in a nutshell, and he does it well. It's like Vince Wilfork with the Patriots years ago. He just eats and eats and eats and eats and eats. and just Like Tyler Shelvin, who's last I heard up to 380, but Lee McNeil can move a little better than Shelvin can. Yeah, he can, and I like Lee McNeil too in, in that he – He's so violent with his hands off the snap. And he's got that squatty, low-to-the-ground frame. And you, you look at him on film, and he looks like he's about five foot ten. He's actually almost six foot three, But he's just got that Humpty Dumpty type of body type. Uh, he's able to cut into the backfield to, uh, as well. So he, he's an interesting, productive player. It would be, be fascinating to see where, where he ends up here. So another guy um, is Marlon... Tui Pelotu. I, I hope I said that right out of USC. And he's not he's not the big fat guy space eater that a lot of these other ones are we've talked about. He's he's more of a, uh, you know, he's got a good body to him, 6'2", 3'10", plays with good balance. He's somebody that when I look at this, this other tier, 
the guy I see kind of sticking around the league the longest because I think he's just consistent across the board, doesn't stand out in any area. And if he doesn't stand out in any area, then I think the Dolphins are not going to pick him. Um, yeah, I look to uh, I mean, let's take a look at some of these uh, kind of penetrators, too, you know, where um, uh, Jay, uh, Jay Tufoli from the USC didn't play this past year. Uh, cuts into the backfield uh, quickly. More of that just shredder gets, you know, pins his ears back, gets to the quarterback at all costs, that type of guy. Again, not a lot of room in the Dolphins defense for that type of player. I don't see him being on the Dolphins board there either. Um, Milton Williams is an interesting guy. He is. Um, it, it's, you know, he didn't have a huge career he was he was definitely developing uh, um and all of a sudden he just came out of nowhere and just started shredding everyone he went up against and so it really depends on which games you watch with him uh if you watch early on you're gonna be like meh not that guy and you, you watch a little bit at the beginning of last year you're like oh, oh well all right yeah i see a little something and then if you watch his last few games all of a sudden it's like the light came on he developed his athleticism. He stopped thinking. The game slowed down, and he just started destroying teams. Uh, so he's he's one that I definitely like. I mean, he, he's got to put on some weight though. He's got he's got to get in the workout room and get a little bit stronger. And if he does that, so he's a guy I think you could grab and stash in your practice squad. Yeah, I think he. With his workout numbers, he just blew the roof off of it to the point where he's, he's going to go a little bit higher. I think he was a late-round guy heading into this process, and now probably late day two, early day three. I, his workout numbers are, are just insane. Six foot three, 200, 284 pounds. He ran a 462, 40, 34 bench reps, 39 and a half vertical leap. 6.87 cone drill, 425 short shuttle. The other part of it is I watched him, I watched him in a couple of games, and one game specifically against Grambling. He he was playing it. I swear I saw seven times this guy was on the ground. I mean, he was absolutely uh getting steamrolled. Um, but there were like three or four other plays that were like, whoa, because he would slice the guard and get into the backfield so much faster than all the other defensive tackles. So, yeah, it's it's a uh, he'll he, he's he's one of the more interesting guys. He he shot up from like the 15th defensive tackle in this draft up to like the fourth or the fifth. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's tough because. Most of his tape doesn't match out uh, up in any way with those numbers, but the last his last few games do. Um, another one that I really like is Tommy Tagai out of Ohio State. I know I'm probably saying that wrong. And by the way, before I move on, Jersey, you are the man, dude. Thank you very much. Um, so Tommy Tagai, it's it's what he does in, in a lot of games does not sh always show up on tape, but when he really turns it on, he just shreds teams. Um, I know he shredded Clemson. I know he had some COVID issues. Um, the little bit of tape I have watched on Tommy, though, I can't I can't turn it off. I have to keep watching him because uh, he will go through four blockers like they're nothing and, and make the play over and over and over again. And he is probably one of the biggest difference makers on Ohio State, which is a pretty damn good team. 
You bet. And I watch him and I think there's no way that this guy's six foot one, 260, 296 pounds. Um, and he looks a lot bigger. He doesn't get moved back. Very productive in the middle of that defense. Yeah. He's somebody I really do like here at, at, at the defensive tackle spot, you know, just three sacks in his college career, but that's not who he is. So yeah. To, uh, yeah. He's, and that's what I'm saying that, you know, that you look at that fifth round pick the Dolphins have, and we think that they're going to find a way to trade down and get more picks. That's when you can maybe throw a fifth or a sixth round pick at, at one of these guys, have them compete for a roster spot, and, and maybe you get something there. So, Paul, anybody else from this group you want to talk? Actually, somebody in the chat here uh, uh, talked about TJ Slayton there from Florida. He goes in the fat guy column, that's for sure. Uh, but he he's uh, he is a big boy he's six foot four 330 pounds but he tested out well i mean to be 330 and run under a 5-1 i mean that's impressive uh so he at least has the physical traits to to give himself a chance here i expect him to go somewhere you know in in, in rounds five through seven here so we'll we'll see if it, and there's so many of these guys here so there is some good value at, at the interior defensive line spot late in the draft there really is. I mean, uh, I, I'm i going to be honest here. I'm not diving as deep on the defensive tackles this year as I normally do. Defensive tackles normally a late round. Pick your flavor. Pick your poison for me. I know we had that happen when they doubled down years ago with Vincent Taylor and, and Davin Gotchow, and it was absolutely a great pairing there to take, even though I know uh, we just lost Gotchow to the Patriots. Um, it, it's like you said, the fifth round seems to be like that sweet spot because it's given the defensive line rotation, it's one of those positions that you can kind of pick your poison more so than any other position out there as far as what you put on the field. And, and it just literally has to do with down and distance and you're setting yourself up for run versus pass. And it's okay because you're giving these fat guys a break. Yeah, it, it all depends on how these guys get rotated and Brian Flores and Josh Boyer have shown that they can rotate them very, very effectively here. So, you know, Paul, there's been a lot of uh, comments in the chat here too. This is, we see, this is why I don't look at the chat until afterward, uh, you know, uh, going back and forth on Christian Wilkins. And I've got to say that not surprisingly, I'm on the little bit more of the negative side with Christian Wilkins. Not that he's not a good player. I think Christian Wilkins is a fine player. 13th overall pick in the draft. No, I, I never thought he was worth that. And I've got to say, I like two defensive tackles on the team, Zach Sealer and Raekwon Davis more than Christian Wilkins. So he's on a rookie contract still. I'm fine with him playing it out, but yeah, I could go either way on him. Yeah. I, I mean, I just, it's, he does well enough and he has some pretty good moments. I mean, don't forget he missed a month last year and still put up production that we missed uh, while he was gone. And, yeah, I like Sealer and um, Raekwon more, which surprises me because I wasn't a huge fan of the Raekwon pick last year. But I think there's a role for Christian Wilkins in Brian Flores' defense and one that he's pretty cemented into. Uh, I'm, I'm more worried about Sealer losing snaps this year, even though I think it should be the other way around with some of the signings that they, that they've made this off season. Yes. Uh, and shake money in the chat said too, yeah, the dolphins use their defensive tackles as defensive ends. That's exactly right. Uh, and th that's why Christian Barmore 
in my mind is is in the picture as somebody that that I would sniff there at number eighteen. Not saying the Dolphins necessarily would do it, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, th- that's why you're seeing this the amount of defensive tackles on the Dolphins roster because they're not, you know, it, 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 they're not going right at nose tackle. They're not, they're not uh, as a two defensive tackle looking a four three. You're going to see three of these guys on the field here at the same team. So, are, are at the same time. Uh, Kyrus Tonga is also a huge guy too. Uh, Drew Scully, you're right. Uh, he, he figures into that group as well. I actually think he's a little bit more refined than some of these other guys we've talked about too. So again, fifth through seventh round area. Um, Marvin Wilson. See, this is another guy that I say, why do you go back to college when you think you're going to be a first round pick? Cause now he goes back to college. He gets hurt. He has a bad year and now he's a fourth rounder. Hey, I don't know what you're graduating in, but I hope you go win a Nobel Prize or something because you just cost yourself millions of dollars in the NFL. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah. So don't don't graduate college, okay? Go no, back to school. Stay in school. <laughs> I remember, I coached nine-year-olds, man. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no. Graduate college unless you're a first-round NFL draft pick, okay? There, there we go. There you go. Well, I'll, I'll give you that. So – Jad actually just asked which, and I know we're getting away from the defensive tackle position. So, anything else on D tackles before I jump into this question? No, yeah. I'm done. Thank God. All right. So, Jad just asked in chat what team we think absolutely will not pass on Micah Parsons if he is there. And one team I would say almost definitively is the Patriots. Um, I think Bill Belichick likes taking those guys that may have some character issues and getting them to buy into the Patriot way. And I I don't want to face Micah Parsons twice a year for the next 10 years. Uh, I'll say it right there. I, I don't think you'll have to. Because, uh, yeah, uh, he has the versatility, obviously, that Bill Belichick would like. But linebackers, just like in, in our defense here, you know, we the Dolphins have taken the, this, the Patriots' defense – and brought it to Miami in a lot of ways, you have to be really seasoned and you have to be really aware and really intelligent to play linebacker in this defense. And that's why it's, that's the primary reason. I don't think the dolphins or the Patriots are going to take Micah Parsons. I think he's got to go to to some uh, somewhere that's just going to let him pin his ears back and get to the quarterback and then develop his game from there. So it's it's given the potential character issues, it's hard to say no team will pass him. He could free fall in this draft, uh, you know, down to eighteen and past eighteen possibly. So I don't have a specific team in mind. I, I would say that if the Arizona Cardinals uh, see him there at sixteen, they do have needs at inside and outside linebacker. They are willing to step out of their comfort zone a lot at the linebacker spot. I could see Michael Parsons going there. Yeah, and and. Two of our listeners actually just brought it up in chat. Um, the Eagles and the Giants are two very big prospective teams for him. And not for nothing, I could I could see the Panthers grabbing him here um, potentially as well. Um, Grandazar actually asked in chat uh, about Quinton Bohanna from Kentucky at the defensive tackle position. I, I, I've watched a little tape on him, but not a huge amount. Any thoughts from you, Kat, on that one or... Nope. If you've seen tape, you've seen more than I have on him, to be honest with you. <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah. We'll get, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> so it, it's, I mean, I know I watched some on him. I'm trying to, because I watched a bunch on a number of lower round prospects and undrafted. Um, I'm trying to recall off the top of my head. I know he was out of Kentucky. Is that the big 360-pound one, Grandazar? Like, he's like 360, 370. I feel, I feel like this undrafted free agent is really holding up the show now. So, yeah, uh, we're, we're, we're going we to we, we'll circle back gonna, on him. We're going to move on. No, thank you for the question. Yeah, I, you, you, it, um, whoever chatted that in, you probably know more about him than I do here. So, uh, uh yeah, we're going to, we're, we're going to move past the defensive tackles. And thank you all for staying with us on this here, too, because Saturday, we're going to go, our whole show is going to be about receivers. And then Sunday, our whole show is going to be about running back. So we're going to get into the skill positions. We were thinking about saving that all to the end. But if we go quarterback, interior defensive line, uh, then the next position that the Dolphins don't really need, we feel like you all are going to be asleep here uh, two weeks before the draft. So that's that's going to do it here for our breakdown of the interior defensive line spot on the fin side with uh, – Cat and Paul, Paul is fanatic underscore pick on Twitter. I'm Brian Cat NFL. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iHeartRadio, all of our social media outlets here. And uh, we're also the uh, official provider here of the Fan Sided Network, as well as FinFanatic.com. If it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the Fin side. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.